0: My name is Rob Ockenkloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. We just sent our first issue off to print, and it is available for order now featuring additions from Chris Burkhardt, Alex Stroll, Lauren Moores, Brian Collins, Petra Knapp. I'm sure you all are sick of hearing me talk about this, but we're stoked and we're soon going to release pre-orders for our second issue. Anyways, anyone listening to this podcast can use the code podcast to receive a 15% off the first issue at checkout. Today, I am joined by Charles Post. Charles is a UC Berkeley trained ecologist, Conservation filmmaker and ecosystem brand strategy consultant working with industry leading brands from Gore, Hip Camp, to Nerona. He's an Explorers Club fellow, host of a new podcast, Traversed, alongside co host and friend of this podcast, Chris Burkhardt, and is the co founder of The Nature Project, a nonprofit organization committed to connecting underserved youth with nature and professional athlete mentors. Over the years, he has also become known for being outspoken about wildlife issues, climate activism, and ecological stewardship, topics regularly published on a social media channel where he brings his audiences along to some of the planet's most wild places. Charles is based in the Lofoten Islands of Norway, located at 68 degrees north, high above the Arctic Circle. He lives in a red cabin with his wife Rachel Pohl, their Samoya Newt, and a cat named Hannah. Now this conversation ranged all over the place and we spent a lot of time talking about the future of our planet, the future of creative pursuit, and where we like to spend our time around the world. I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Charles Post. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Charles, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: So I start off every single podcast by asking the exact same question, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning?
1: Wow first thing i think about when i wake up in the morning is where's my wife and dog (laughs) because i usually get up last of of the three of us um and so then it's a little bit of like a visual search
0: (laughs) where are they (laughs) and is that just a difference in choice are you a late night before or what is your you know view on sleep in that regard
1: yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I've I've come to really value in my my older age uh, is sleep. Sleep is so important, and working for myself um, since leaving graduate school in two thousand fifteen, I've had to kind of navigate that tension between overworking and feeling as though I'm underworking. Mm-hmm. Um, creating a career from scratch one that doesn't really have a North star because I have this weird kind of uh, cocktail of interests mm-hmm. with a science background. It's a bit of this, uh, you know, this turning over stones and seeing what I find experience. And so early on exhaustion, um, lack of sleep, those were things that I think were, 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 challenges for sure. And as my career is stabilized, as I've gotten more clear on what I want to do and how I want to value my time, totally sleeps become kind of a cornerstone of my approach. Hmm. And so, yeah, I sleep in, my wife gets up a little earlier. My dog is keen to get going when, you know, when, when he sees us up and stirring, he wants to go play. So.
0: Totally. usually how the day starts. Do you do you guys go to bed at the same time or is there kind of a different process um, even during that period?
1: Yeah, so she, my wife usually goes to bed before me. Um, so she, I think she needs a little bit more sleep perhaps, yeah. but then maybe I offset, you know, maybe I'm just waking up a little <laughs> later, so maybe, maybe it's the same. Um, but when we lived in Montana, so we, we, we moved to Norway seven months ago, mm-hmm. sold everything, sold our house. Um, okay. Really started over, but when we had our place in Montana, we had it was a bit of a bigger house. She had her own studio, I had my own office, and so mm-hmm. I think we we had that space to kind of, you know, create our own timelines for how we wanted the day to go and how we wanted our energy to be expended. And totally. since we've moved to Norway, we've been living in a some really small spaces—a uh, fisherman's cabin in Lofoten's in the in the Arctic's been home. We're yeah. a few weeks in this cabin here, which is two rooms. So. We, we sync up a little bit more when we're in small spaces, right? Because it's a, a bit of by necessity.
0: So is Norway uh, a temporary thing you seem like to be bouncing around? Or are you just looking for the right place in Norway?
1: Norway is permanent. Um, right. That's the, the intention. That's the ambition. Uh, from a locale perspective, Lofoten will, will definitely be a place that we are spending most of the year. We're contemplating trying to find an opportunity to spend a few months further south where there's mm-hmm. maybe more snow, uh, maybe a little bit more light, right? In the Arctic, mm-hmm. that far north at 68 degrees, you do have a dark period where the sun actually doesn't rise. And so here we are quite a bit south of the Arctic Circle, you get the sun,
0: which mm-hmm.
1: is not a bad thing.
0: Not a bad thing at all. Yeah. Um, so what prompted that initial decision for you and your wife to move to Norway at least at least sell everything and kind of start of that that's not a that's not a quick decision or something that people take lightly usually
1: no it's so true it was a three-year process uh three plus years because we it was during the pandemic we you know we had been two years in our dream house we'd bought a little farm in montana um in the gallatin valley which is just an absolutely epic place kind Mm -hmm. of at the foot of the greater yellowstone on paper it was checking all the boxes and i remember just one day uh rachel my wife and i and our dog were out in our field just having a bit of a cruise you know i think we were on skis maybe and i remember just like looking at the house and everything and it was one of those kind of out of body experiences when you where you feel like you're floating up in a hot air balloon and kind of yeah. looking at everything from a yeah. vantage point.
0: Strange. And I but thought
1: amazing, amazing. And it kind of those 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 experiences kind of spring themselves on you where you have to really kind of pause and 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 kind of ruminate on them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember thinking, you know, is this it? Is this the next sixty years? You know, am I? Is this what we're doing?
0: Yeah.
1: And. Yes so we had the conversation, like, is this what we're doing? Is this our ambition? Is this our, is this, is this going to be the start of a very long chapter? And we, you know, it's no small thing, as you said, to, to move across the world to for sure lose clients, lose relationships, miss birthdays, watch your parents grow old over, you know, a rectangle that you keep in your pocket, you know, as you said. Um, So it was pretty heavy to decide that. But, once we kind of understood that there was a pathway to Norway, we yeah, explored it with some energy. My my family comes from Norway, my great grandparents. And so there's there's that connection, but but really it was on us to just, you know, feel drawn to a place that she and I had spent time in and,
0: and felt, yeah. you know, a a, a draw to. So Norway is fascinating and I've been lucky enough to go there as well. Um, I've also been to all the other Scandinavian countries and I don't know how many you've been to, I'm guessing probably a few of them based on your travels. No?
1: No, have
0: not been to Finland, Sweden, um, Denmark. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I always ask people that end up, you know, Maybe they're American or maybe they're French or some other other place other than Scandinavia and moved to one yeah. of the Scandinavian countries. I was like, "Why did you pick this one?" Right? Because they're yeah. all hyper different, but they all have hmm. like s- similar languages, except for Finnish, obviously, is in a different planet. Yeah, right? yeah. So when it comes to language, Fun but club. yeah, um, yeah, I was gonna, I was, just, I was. Just, so, did you have like a key or? memory from previous travel in Norway that really kind of drew you back there? Like, was there a certain kind of experience or moment that really kind of lived rent-free in your head that really pushed you to kind of say like, Norway might be that place? I love how you said that. And yes, there, there certainly was, there were were
1: two in particular. One was the first day that she and I, we landed in Svolver, which is one of the bigger cities in, Mm -hmm. in, in, in Lofoten. And we had just left, left the city so we're you know 10 minutes into our drive and i remember just seeing the mountains Mm. and it was kind of one of those like are you freaking kidding me moments like how is this real it's you know it feels like lord of the rings uh or something like that just otherworldly and so that was that kind of moment where i was like holy shit, this is crazy that this Mm -hmm. place exists and then the next moment was a a, kind of a gentler moment in the sense that it was something I, i really didn't expect and wasn't really in so in your face. And, and that was, you know, we'd been there for a few weeks. I was walking down a road. We were actually staying in the house we now live in, mm, um, awesome. which is kind of wild. And I, we were walking down this road in a really kind of remote, small village. And there was a guy driving a little work vehicle there. there a lot of the cars like a plumber or handyman use, you mm-hmm. know, in America, it's like coma here. They're oftentimes these little um, like Volkswagen you know, imagine like a Jetta or a Gulf, but with like a big back end, almost mm-hmm. like a camper built on the back. That's awesome. And he had d- two, these two narrow doors that were open and he had all those tools, but the bottom of it was filled with cod, like, you know, huge, <laughs> like 30 pound fish. Wow. And I grew up fishing. Um, and so my eyes, you know, and as an ecologist, I'm, I'm interested in I'm like, what are what's going on here? And I start talking to this guy, we get into a bit of a conversation about the fishing and about you know, it's called the scray season when you have these migratory cod that come down from mm-hmm. the Barents Sea and they, they do their thing in Lofoten. And he talked about his life and specifically about his aspirations in life. He drives a bus, he was a police officer, mm-hmm. but his goal throughout all of this was to live in a cabin in nature yeah, and to be removed from kind of the frenetic chaos that so many of us experience in our own ways. And I remember in that moment, I was like, if that is an ambition I want to have that as well yeah and I kept meeting people who shared those those values and you know there's a a word in Norwegian called free free sleeve which is like this fresh air life and it's Ooh. actually a thing that many people in Norway really resonate with um, and it's this idea of just like getting outside and being in nature and so those two experiences really did plant and water that
0: seed amazing what was the reason for the cod in his car was he just uh does that his own like food for the next bit of time or is he selling them yeah so
1: during the scray season which is in the winter y- you have this kind of like Lofoten was built around cod fishing and specifically in the winter when you have these migratory cod there are cod that live in Lofoten year-round and then mm-hmm. there's an, a huge flux of cod that Migrate to Lofon, to nest and reproduce to the
0: quote unquote warmer water.
1: <laughs> yeah, to the warmer water. It probably yeah. has something to do with like the bottom contours mm-hmm. or the currents or, or some favorable conditions. But so he was there for this migration to fish, and this is a time when these little fishing villages just kind of spring to life with people coming to get their quota. And yeah. a quota for a resident of Norway is like a. A healthy amount of cod. Yeah, uh, and so people take it seriously, and they catch a shitload of fish. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. why I think they have one of the healthiest populations in the world because they're eating a lot of this wild-caught, uh, high-fat content, high-protein content resource that is loaded with nutrients that you know human beings survive off of. And you know, I'm a big subscriber to the idea of eating what your ancestors would have eaten, and I also have mm-hmm. like strong Scandinavian DNA. Um, and I know there's like, obviously things have changed and we have different access to different types of nutrients and different types of access, and we can have the capability to potentially pull nutrients from other places. And I, and I know something that we do want to talk about. So I will save that for kind of a later part of this conversation. Um, but I do want to loop you back to earlier, you just woke up, you're trying to figure out where your wife and dog are. Do you have some kind of, <laughs> do you have some kind of morning routine that you walk through? or or, purpose through
1: yeah i mean i think drinking a glass of water
0: mm-hmm. hydrating yeah
1: getting sunlight in your eyes mm-hmm. directly so going outside um those are two things that i've done for a long time and have always served me well i mean i think phys- physiologically there's there's an abundance of benefits you can you can look them up um I also think mentally, it kind of gives me a chance to, you know, again, with this kind of DIY career, it's a it's Mm -hmm. a lot of like you need in my mind, you need that clarity of how you're going to like attack the day, like what's your plan of action going to be. And so it is really nice to get grounded, get rooted, kind of take a breath, take stock of what the day holds. Mm -hmm. And also at this point in our career, you look at the weather, like what's yeah. going on outside? Is is it going to be sunny and you should kind of bail on some things and go, you know, harvest <laughs> a, a fun day or is, is, yeah. are there going to be good waves or whatever? So that's kind of where I go and like, look at the chessboard and figure out
0: mm-hmm.
1: what moves am I trying to make to kind of yeah. set myself up for success.
0: I love that. So, so one thing that I've had a lot of discussions recently on this podcast and outside this podcast is how people structure what they have to do because i think it's fascinating because there's almost it's almost like a it's like your unique fingerprint because there's no one to-do list there's no one function so i'm curious like are you a to-do list guy are you someone that keeps it all in your head do you use like a calendar do you just write on paper or are you just what is it
1: you know i think the answer to that has has changed over time at this current kind of season of my life I, i look at things as I look at things through a lens of like urgency and Mm. urgency is kind of either real or projected, right? Like you can, you can assume, yeah, yeah, you can kind of like cook something up as urgent when it's really not that important. And so when I'm working, I kind of have two buckets. I have work that's for clients Mm -hmm. that actually have like real deadlines that I need to respect. And then I have work for myself, for my business or, Mm -hmm. or my creative kind of endeavors. And so that's where I kind of, you know, kind of balance out what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and what could be done if energy and time, you know, are in my favor. Um, And so for the things that need to be done, I'm a big calendar guy. I'm working with multiple clients who use different platforms for scheduling and communication. It's a sauna, it's Slack, it's you know it's the worst
0: is what it is it's just the worst
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so i'm you know so then it's like checking my calendar which is which is my almanac uh that's what really dictates a lot of my decisions and then yeah kind of working through all those little
0: quirky boards and lists and different threads
1: to just make sure i'm not blowing it
0: (laughs) oh yeah so you know it's interesting you say that so my big thing is that I used to be like like that. Just use my calendar as my monolith, right? Like this, mm. this is this this defines my current day, and I was like, yeah. I was a slave to the calendar. And then I was listening to a podcast with Naval Ravikant, and uh, he was talking about how he aims to his cal. I, I I think everyone who's who's ever met him or read his stuff or anything, he's he's full of lots of pithy wisdom, and beyond. Yeah. But he's like, I want my calendar to be as empty as possible. And then he uses Mm. the do list to fill that calendar and trust himself to get the right things done. The problem is someone like me with hyper ADHD and OCD, like I'll say like, I can get 35 things done today and I can't, and I can get maybe nine of them done. Um, And so for me, the big breakdown I've realized and actualized has been this idea that like, I dissociate the amount of time something should take and the act of doing the thing, right? Mm. And sometimes like, you have to do these four things at once because they interact each other, or it's much more, more efficient to do four at once. But it's hard to gauge how much time that takes. So there's I'm going somewhere, I promise, with this. So there's this product I signed up for a long time ago that I forgot existed. And then they sent me a random email the other day, like, hey, we just raised seven million dollars in a series A. We can now send invites out. And I'm like, what is this? I forgot what it was. But it's this app made by Scandinavians. Um, I think they're. I think it might be actually Oslo or uh, Stockholm based, Stockholm based. And the idea is that you have a to-do list that could be integrated from like the Asanas and the base camps and the other places, or just make them on there in the world. And you have your calendar, which integrates like your Google and your Microsoft calendar and it's either on your to-do list or it turns and morphs into a calendar event to get it done. But it either exists in one of those two planes. So in my mind, I saw this and I was like, this might be perfect. Being able to see... And I'll link it below if anyone wants to like get on the wait list and try. I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. Like, I don't know them, um, but like to me, this idea, and I'm surprised no one's done it yet of saying like, there is the missing kind of magic link in there. I, I don't know. I, I just find it fascinating.
1: I, I love that. I'm interested. I'm excited to click that link when you share it. Speaking <laughs> of Naval, one of the things that he talks about. Is this idea of uh, you know a calm mind, a clear mind, is is like a productive, a sharp mind, mm-hmm. and and with that tying back to your calendar comments about having free time, that's another thing that I've done in the last well, the last year, especially since coming to Norway. When we decided we were going to make the move, mm-hmm. one of my heroes, Chris Tompkins, former CEO of Patagonia, a mentor, yeah. somebody I just cherish speaking with. She told me right before we left, she said, Charles, if you can take things off your plate, if you can slowly, you know, slowly depart from some of these things that are eating up your time, maybe it's a consulting client, maybe it's some sort of commitment, whatever it might be, free up that pie of time and give yourself some days in the week that are for you, for Mm -hmm. the opportunities you don't know that exist. Yeah for the for the invitations that you might have been closed off to had you had a full plate mm-hmm. and so for the first time in my life I look at my calendar and I have busy days but I intentionally keep at least two days pretty free mm. and even if same. somebody's exact same. yeah and even if yeah. somebody's really keen on having meetings You set those boundaries. I don't do meetings before this time. I don't do meetings after this time or whatever it is. And I think just having that structure will make the time you do commit to work Mm -hmm. that much more productive and the time you're not working that much more regenerative.
0: Yes. Today is Thursday. It's actually one of my days that I don't take any meetings unless it's a podcast. Cause that to me is more of a conversation, not really a meeting. Uh, And sometimes there are just people that are potential clients or friends. And it's not going to be like a work meeting where there's an agenda. It's like they're asking me a question, which either either ends up asking me for a favor or asks me if they, I want to help out with something. And that's those, those I always allow those, right? But I think for me, I found that I got to have a day a week where I just literally don't let myself do anything. And if something happens, yeah. then great. But just where I don't feel bad, even if I'm in the middle of the biggest crunch or deadline in the world, I'm just like, I just drop it all. I'm like, great, time to go do something else. And it's everything. Yeah, give you'll do, that, you'll do that
1: Works, and you'll be that
0: much more productive, you know, yes. like go surf, go hike,
1: mm-hmm. take a nap. I mean, my wife was just talking about this yesterday, how people say like napping is unproductive. Napping is so productive. There are no it rules. Might one of the most, <laughs> it might be one of the most productive things you do because you yeah. come back from that just charged up.
0: Yeah. I can't nap because I'm that person that's like groggy for four hours after napping yeah. for 45 minutes, but I'll meditate, which is my version of like taking peace. Um, and Mm -hmm. going, and I think we, we, we could probably quote Naval all day and make an entire (laughs) anthology of just quotes from one page of one of his interviews. But he talks a lot about that. You know, the goal of meditation is not to get peace of mind, but peace from mind. Um, and something that people listen to this podcast know I mentioned a lot, but it's true. It's like giving yourself those days where you're kind of free from this sometimes crushing pressure that you have to do something with your life, which I think is a toxic, uh, Export of modern society, like you have to be worth something. But I but I mean yeah. I inherently believe that every every living thing and some non-living things have value, right? And if you're That's not true. sure what that value is, you have to figure it out. And I think
1: one of my heroes, Andy Goldsworthy, talks about shaking hands with the place. And mm. I think in order to do that, you need to give yourself the time to get to know a place. It might be a living aspect of the place, the animals, the people, it might be the inanimate the non-living mm-hmm. it could be the stone, it could be the water um, but that takes time and I don't nap either, but my meditation, my pursuit to be free from the mind
0: mm-hmm. is
1: to be outside in nature, turning yeah. it off and just kind of opening those channels to you know really absorb and and just be present
0: mm-hmm. and I'm glad you said that because i I think a lot of people view meditation as this very intense specific thing but mm-hmm. meditation could be as simple as you are listening to the same song over and over again while running it could be you finding time in nature it could be anything right and it's just creating that space is all that really matters in my mind
1: somebody who i really admire uh this is a filmmaker named sanjay rawal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's talks a lot about these 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 peoples who run in a, through a, as a form of meditation, and specifically, one of the things he's he's really excited about is this run in New York City, where I don't know the details of how long the run is. It's something epic, like days or weeks of oh, of okay. running that are broken up into into windows, so you can mm-hmm. run an hour here, an hour there. But it's this idea of running around like a city block, and you do it, you know, thousands of times, and and hmm. you walk away with
0: Repet- rep- repetition is. Bless, maybe yeah hmm. well like i mean in bio <laughs> yeah link bio I, yeah i definitely had <laughs> it yeah so as a reminder to everyone listening um if you're new to the podcast welcome um i list everything that is notable if some if it's a person if it's a thing if it's a place um it's most likely linked below um and that way it saves everyone some time in trying to figure that out so you'll see that link below in the in the show notes um but something that i know you uh you know brought up in pre-conversations to this podcast um was um you know the Japanese concept of ikigai that's pronouncing it right correct mm-hmm. and um do you want to kind of walk through I, I'm actually more curious as to how you discovered this uh and how you like like what, what kind of impact it made on your life immediately
1: yeah I don't know how I discovered it might have been through some of my interest in forest bathing mm. and maybe kind of digging into this Japanese. Uh,
0: Sorry, when you say forest to... bathing, what is that? So there's
1: a word it's it's Shirin um Oh, my gosh. There's a Japanese translation that describes okay. this this pursuit of forest bathing, yeah. and it's a book Obligable that I. <laughs> yeah, and 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 really, what it is is that it's a practice that certainly exists in many cultures, and many in many places. But it, I think it's been made popular by uh, a cohort of scientists who have done a lot of work to really ask the question of what are the benefits of being in nature? What does this do to our physiology, our mind? What does this do to, for our spirit? And those kind of inward questions, I think naturally lead to this question of, of what is your purpose, right? Like what is the thing that makes your time on earth, which is inherently mm-hmm. finite, and meaningful fleeting. and yeah. fulfilling. And so I would imagine that was kind of the the stepping stone to this curiosity around Ikigai, which is a word that kind of describes the nexus of of your passion. What kind of fills Mm. you up your mission? What drives you your profession, (laughs) right? Like what can you do for a career and your vocation? Like Ikigai lives in kind of that center place. And for me, it was, it really resonated because that's a question I've been grappling with for a long time. I, had spent about a third of my life in the sciences at uc berkeley as an undergraduate falling in love with ecology Mm -hmm. being a field scientist for uc berkeley feeling like this is my place this is my calling this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna study birds i'm gonna study fish i've got it figured out i get into a phd program uh at berkeley studying with one of my mentors one of my heroes Uh, you know uh, on paper i had checked the boxes i'd set out to check I was really feeling grounded more to this, this career, this, this, uh, my peers, this community, which is incredibly inspiring and it's important work. But I found myself at year three of an eight year program feeling a little bit untethered, you mm. know, asking myself, is this really it? Is yeah. this really what I'm going to be doing? Am I going to make enough money? Am I going to find mm-hmm. happiness? Is, is, is the work Are the questions I'm asking as a scientist meaningful? Like, am I going to move the needle is this worth 8 years of my life? Yeah. No. <laughs> is this worth 8 years of my life? Is is this intention and ambition to be a force of good on planet earth? Is this is this the vehicle? Mm-hmm. Right? Like are the questions I'm asking about this bird and this river ecosystem that I was passionate about is this it? Is this going to have the impact that I that I know I'd like my life to have? And so then I started having this kind of you know this conflict about you know well what is it? I didn't have a hero or a roadmap or something or somebody I could look to and be like, okay, they've done this and that's what I should do. I should follow in those footsteps, let them break trail and I'll kind of, you know, be in, you know, you know, be in their shadow kind of following along. I didn't have that. So I had to kind of, you know, work through this exercise of of Ikigai, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where's the passion? What's the mission? What's the profession? And what's like the vocation? How does, how are you employed to do this? Um, I'm not sure I've figured that out, but that Mm -hmm. has kind of been like the workshop that I bring myself back to when I'm taking on a new project, exploring a new outlet for my creative interests. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up leaving, you know, getting a master's degree, finishing my work at UC Berkeley, finishing my research, and then just kind of opening the doors and saying, I'm just going to try in a bunch of hats and see what feels good. And that's awesome a year goes by and the hat doesn't fit anymore, no stress. Come back to, you know, this, 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 uh, kind of,
0: yeah. Come Central back point. to the
1: starting place.
0: Yeah. yeah. And kind of keep looking around. So I think going off that is something that you keep referencing, something that I struggle to figure out myself which is like also someone who doesn't have like a north star of a career where there's like a pivotal ceo role or some kind of place in a company to get to we're just like i'm just mm-hmm. making it up as i go yep. um you know i am very curious how you describe what you do to other people because i i hate the question like what do you do for work or what do you do because it's it, it usually implies that someone is going to characterize or, or inference or reference you based on what you provide that's valuable to them So I'm gonna ask you the question through my own lens, which is how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self?
1: I love the way you framed that.
0: I'm an ecologist, so everything I do touches
1: on or draws inspiration from my background and expertise in ecology. The outcome of those exercises are many. Mm -hmm. They have produced films, they have resulted in editing magazines, working as a photographer, working as a writer. Yeah, Um, I was a journalist for a paper. Um, Now I spend a lot of time and I know this is getting verbose for an eight year old, but
0: yeah, understood.
1: (laughs) (laughs) An ecologist with 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 many outcomes, you know, one of the things that I'm doing now, and I'm finding a lot of fulfillment doing this is working with with companies who have some convictions and some interest and using their particular platform to do good, cool to reduce impact, have positive impact, influence society in positive ways. And so hmm, that's what I'm spending some time doing as well.
0: And I think that, you know, most eight year olds probably don't know what an ecologist is. And I think most adults don't know what like ecology (laughs) is like, how would you describe ecology to, to, to someone that would ask you like, what, like, like, I'm an ecologist. You're like, what is that? You know? On the most basal level ecology, if you look at the Greek root words Mm -hmm. of
1: ecology, it it, it translates to the study of one's home. Mm. And I I didn't know that
0: actually. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: What I love about ecology is that by nature, we are a part of that equation. And I think in Mm -hmm. today's world, we are so often separate ourselves from wildlife, from these systems that we see through the window or we see as we're driving down the highway. But ecology reminds us we're part of that system. And so being an ecologist is typically somebody who's asking questions about the natural world. Mm-hmm. In some cases with humans as an element and other cases looking at more wild settings where where people aren't so much the focus, but interactions of organisms with their physical environment.
0: Awesome. And this work that you do with given clientele, um, would you say that most of it is people that are already doing good and are trying to get better or people that maybe have had kind of a rocky history and want to change that? Or are they people that um, maybe uh, don't know where to begin? Or I guess probably that's all the above. Yeah. All the above. And I, and I think the, the clients that I've,
1: I've probably had the most uh, fun and maybe the most impact working with
0: mm-hmm.
1: are the companies that have a complicated ground floor these mm-hmm. are companies that are making things these are companies that are not startups necessarily they're not they're, you know this yeah. isn't like a bakery on the corner mm-hmm. and so i one of the things that i have to do is spend a lot of time listening Building relationships, asking questions, understanding who the stakeholders are, and understanding what their, yeah, what success looks like to them. Because hmm. as an outsider, when you're coming into a group that has like a uniform mission, like this is these are employees, as a company. Mm-hmm. If you go in there kind of um, pointing fingers and yeah. you know, wagging fingers at people, you're you're not really gonna get very far. And mm-hmm. so, what I found is that trust is essential, and that steering a big ship one inch onto a new course can have massive implications for the planet Mm.
0: okay do you so i think a lot of talk nowadays about this impending almost ecological collapse that we seem to be hurtling towards at a thousand miles an hour um something that i know you write about a lot and you talk about a lot is like optimism in the face of climate change and just overall decline of the systems on our planet um to, to someone that may not know where to start um and don't give away your you know expensive expertise but like to, to someone listening that maybe says you know they're, they're they love this planet but they're just not sure where where to start because i think there's just so many talking heads nowadays about this is the best thing for the planet and a lot hmm. of them are very conflicting ideas um and some of them are very complimentary ideas but do you have anywhere for someone just to really just And their everyday lives begin to make an impact. Now get go back to
1: ecology, the study of one's home. Like give names to the things you see. Mm. They don't have to be the scientific names. It could be you could make up a name for a bird that you see at your window frequently. It could be a tree that you're the name, you know, captures the the energy of that tree or how it looks to you. When we give things names, we place value on things. Yeah, And when we place value on things, we make decisions with those things in mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: if more of us made decisions with nature in mind, I think the world would be a much better place. And some of these ailments that we're experiencing, many of them are outcomes of climate. Some of them are outcomes of human ignorance, such as Mm -hmm. land use change, developments, things of that nature. All of those would be impacted in the most significant ways if more of us had personal connections with nature and the systems that we're affecting with the way we eat, with the way we spend our money, Mm -hmm. with who we vote for, who we align with, who we surround ourselves with, and how we impact the people we surround surround ourselves with, right? If you hold value and place that value on birds or the stream in your backyard, and then all of a sudden your three friends think that stream in your backyard is pretty cool, yeah. You you're having impacts.
0: One of the things you mentioned was food. Mm. And I know that everyone wants to become this new expert on this is the best diet for you, this is the best diet for your planet, this will kill you, this is terrible. I am curious what you I'm not it's true though right I'm not wrong like that's that's literally totally. the truth of people these days it's it's very tribal it's like yeah. I am tribe vegan I am tribe meat I am tribe you know cheap I am tribe goji berries goji berries are you know grown in uh, human feces I don't I don't know right like everyone's everyone has their own their their own Yeah. But like what is Just what is lanes. your Yeah, I'm curious what your modus operandi is when it comes to food given your background and what you spend your time doing.
1: Yeah, I mean I grew up in a place you know, Northern California, I think food, it wasn't weird to eat organic. That was just yeah. something that was available. So I already kind of had that in my field of view and had access to it, the means, but also the physical access to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and everybody has a different situation. So mm-hmm. just want to acknowledge the privilege of choice. Absolutely. Many, many people, this, this conversation means nothing because food is food calories. Yeah for those of us who have the privilege of choice, myself included, my diet has taken on many forms.
0: Hmm.
1: When I went to college and was kind of in charge of my food for the first time, I was at UC Berkeley, part of a student Mm co-op, like mega hippie, barefoot, yeah, hemp shirts, the whole deal, as it. you'd expect. Yeah. You can see it. <laughs> yeah, you can, can probably it. smell it too. Yeah, uh,
0: not through Skype. And, but...
1: <laughs> and so there, it was. It was. I was eating vegan, and that was because mm-hmm. the group that I was with made that decision. It was a co-op, so everybody kind of votes in. It's very like
0: mm.
1: um, Scandinavian and that that yeah. you know socio-democratic process. We are one,
0: and one is all. Yeah,
1: precisely. And so eating eating a plant-based diet made sense. It was it was feasible. It was cost effective because we we're all chipping in. Once I left undergraduate and started working as a field scientist, my diet was more focused on calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't making that much. I was in a really remote setting.
0: Yeah.
1: Oftentimes, the food that I was eating had to be like dehydrated or canned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just kind of as a as a as a byproduct of my situation and my circumstances. So again, that was often plant-based, but I would go out foraging for mushrooms. I Mm -hmm. would be fishing. I'd be hunting, Mm -hmm. uh, diving for abalone, crabbing, Mm. um, picking mussels, you know, just kind of getting creative. Uh, (laughs) And the North Coast of California is a wonderful place to, yeah, connect with food uh, and, and, and kind of experience the harvest. In graduate school, I'm back in you know kind of a an urban kind of i was living in a rural rural town but you know at, at UC Berkeley a few days a week and so then i had a garden so i was mm-hmm. growing a lot of food i was hunting um
0: and were you so hunting, I was eating
1: Curiosity. The... Yeah, so at that time i was hunting mostly birds so mm-hmm. hunting waterfowl hunting upland game birds um fishing for salmon i was i was helping out one of my neighbors on his commercial salmon boats so i had cool. salmon um you know Access. quite a bit catching striped bass at night mm-hmm. um and i uh, going to the store like buying yeah. shit at the store for sure yeah. <laughs> you're
0: <laughs> like, not perfect, anybody you? listening like i am
1: not <laughs> yeah. like bear girls living in the cabin
0: <laughs> like, disclaimer charles uh actually catches and grows all of his own food and yeah, water yeah, no, from the sky from it. yeah <laughs> but
1: actually produce for those years most of my produce i was growing great it's a it's a climate you know Northern California is a is a fantastic climate for growing for growing whatever vegetables. you want
0: yeah yeah whatever you want it's amazing you but... could grow a jalapeno or an avocado it's like oh, okay
1: <laughs> it's so true I mean people grow go, go grow goji berries it just is wild which is a plant that usually grows at high elevations in the Himalaya mm-hmm. um, yeah or in other environments high elevations uh, mm-hmm. in particular um, and so n- I would say that that kind of balance of of meat. As often as possible coming from my own pursuits and plants, as often as possible coming from my own garden. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been my goal. Makes sense. But I go to the store. Yeah. So
0: in <laughs> in where you are now near Lafoten, um, which is a to people that don't know, I linked it below. It's a rather remote but stunningly beautiful place. I actually like was just finishing up the print that we we're doing with Alex Stroll of his like his famous shot, the Lafoten fishing ca- cabin. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and so i'm, I'm always like I, when i first saw that photo i was like where is that and i was like oh that's very far away but looks very cool so obviously given the fact it's winter right now up there um you're entering into like the the darkest period of the year for you um coming up on what the end december 23rd um what is what is the diet how does the food access look now
1: it's a bit different than uh california or montana where <laughs> Just i lived previously um you know, plants don't thrive year-round no. in the North. And so it's it's actually quite funny because we'll go to the market and you'll have these little kind of like victory dances when you find <laughs> like fresh kale or you find a little yeah. basket of strawberries in the summer. We're like, oh my yeah. gosh, are you kidding me? Yeah. This kale looks insane. Or you get like yeah. a good cucumber. And so it, it's really fun because food should be something that we – cherish so much people talk about feeding the world we could feed the world if we waste I mean look at the data Mm -hmm. the world produces more than enough food for the population it's more so that wealthy populations waste food
0: Yeah, it's also a distribution problem which is another whole other game as you know but totally and so living
1: in the north has really helped me realize how amazing it is to have good food, mm-hmm. good vegetables specifically. I'm fishing for cod, I'm fishing for pollock. If we do want to eat meat, we're not buying meat. I'm going out onto the coast, 10 minutes from my house. Fortunately, the fisheries are healthy, um, relatively speaking, and mm-hmm. so... I'm able to catch a fish and we can have that for dinner, but mostly eating what we can either from the wild uh, or, you know, good produce from the store and just recognizing that we moved to the Arctic, not to be food connoisseurs, but to have an experience. And
0: um, yeah, that's kind of our goal. But also, you know, people don't know the summers in places like that are just like cornucopias of animals and produce and berries.
1: I mean, yeah. if you look at the seasons of the North, you have a very real berry picking season where people take it very seriously. They're picking cloud berries, which is like, I've always wanted to try one. Porcini. Yeah. They're insane. They're yeah. like the Porcini of the, of the, um, berry world. world. Yeah. Blueberries are literally blanketing every surface of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you have lingonberries, uh, berries, mm-hmm. so many berries that i don't even know the names of and then once the berry season kind of fades and fall ramps up mushroom season mushroom season is very seriously as well i've never seen more mushrooms in my life and i've spent a lot of time in the pacific northwest a lot yeah. of time in california in the temperate rainforest where mushrooms thrive hmm. the bear uh, the mushroom um scene in it's <laughs> like mental it's so it's Yeah, it's solid. And then, yeah, of course, um, the sun never goes down for, you know, midnight sun for a lot of of the season. So plants, yeah, and animals are really going into hyperdrive, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. why birds migrate to the Arctic so you can be active and just put on the calories, raise young. There's relatively few predators. It's kind of, uh, as you said, a cornucopia of food, but also a bit of an oasis um, um, for, yeah, many species that – looking to have a predator uh, a, a predator free experience,
0: yeah, because there aren't many predators up where you are correct? there's
1: the Arctic fox. yeah, uh, there's red fox.
0: I think more like large scale like people. scary, big things, but yeah, <laughs> I know. is yeah, like there,
1: there would have been um you know, coming from Montana where bears, mountain lions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, wolves, coyotes uh, bobcats, things of that nature. You know, apex predators exist in Montana, so it's something that you kind of have in the back of your mind you're going out, or especially in grizzly country. Yes. In Norway, you would have had the Eurasian brown bear. You would have had lynx. You would have had wolves. And um, humanity has been quite effective at removing those populations from the landscape. So you still do have some bears and wolves uh, in eastern Norway, maybe a few kind of... Here and uh, there. Yeah, a few, in, but it's but not in, not in low Um So yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's pretty chill. <laughs> no bear spray needed. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Unlike unlike Montana, yeah. where it's bear spray and maybe some other kind of more aggressive weapon, if you're out really, yeah really exploring yeah yeah. I mean, I bow hunted
1: avidly for many years there and have seen my fair share of bears and wolves and mountain lions and. Kind
0: of those like oh shit yeah those, <laughs> i'm not the
1: top dog right now
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think a few of us have had those oh shit moments where you know you, you probably just kind of keep moving on with your life and maybe get lucky and we just don't know and then looking back on it you're like that could have gone very south very very fast um yeah, especially when you're
1: hunting and you have, oh, yeah. you know, a few hundred pounds of meat and you have an animal that's going into the fall season where it needs to pack yeah. calories so it doesn't die. So yeah. there's a different calculus taking place.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Then the Yosemite black bear that's been eating apples all day and doesn't really you know, eat an apple. Yeah. So it's not that interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. No, I mean yeah. it's. I, I've I've had a run in with. Uh, I was I was when I was younger. I did knolls up in the Yukon, and uh, we had a couple run ins okay. with, grizz- with grizzlies. Um, and there was at one point we were on this like. Uh, sl- it was like a, one of those ridge lines in the Yukon, very common. Like basically, it's like all the mountains are basically piles of slate or some kind of similar rock to slate. I'm not a, like I'm not a geologist or an ecologist, so I don't know the names. I just give them my names, right? As you said, yeah. Um, we called it slide rock because like you'd, you'd put one foot down and you'd slide about three feet lower than where you put your foot down. Um, mm. and, uh, so we were kind of walking on one ridgeline and above us, maybe a hundred meters, a uh, hundred yards or so, uh, but kind of above our heads to the right was this like little beautiful grizzly bear cub. And to most people they'd be like, Oh, and to us we're like, Oh shit. You know, <laughs> like, uh, we have to, yeah, we had to move mom? the other way as soon as possible. And mom was there and mom saw us and, she, I think she knew that we were far enough away, and we at that point had started literally moving the opposite direction as fast as possible. So I think she was, uh, you know, I think, I think. Look, I understand the protective nature of bears, um, and of any animal, right? Um, same thing with like cows or or bulls. Like we, I was in Peru earlier this year, and we were uh, my girlfriend and I were traversing the like, uh, what, what had been an unused part of the Inca Trail, are now bringing it back and because of that there's just natural animals that have moved back into this area that used to be full of humans and there's a couple of wild bulls and to most people they'd be like yeah. oh it's just a cow but to you you know exactly what they're talking about like you have to be very very careful you don't pick it at the right time of day and you're far enough away because like these animals will do their best to kill you um yeah i was... worked
1: on a few ranches over the years and have worked with a lot of cattle and bison and i one of my best friends got gored by a cow and he's a, you know, a lifelong cattle operator. I mean, yeah. like legit cowboy. And this thing got him in the stomach and almost killed him. Wow, Total freak accident. And then the day that my wife and I, our first like um, the first time we like hung out, she picked me up at this ranch I was working on and I had been sorting steers. Um... Yeah. I was like in the chutes sorting sorting mm-hmm. cattle when when yeah. she got there and I literally climbed over the rail and my friend jumped in and a seer got, got him right underneath the eye and the horn oh. like hooked underneath his eyeball and like cut open his face Jesus. and yeah they're <laughs> animals are can be can be sketchy
0: <laughs> yeah but it's, it's also like there I mean Usually it's not malicious. I mean, bulls can be malicious, but um, usually totally. it's, a, it's a protective yeah. instinct. Speaking of your your yeah, now wife, want nothing to do. <sighs> Sorry, finish your. Thoughts. I was just gonna
1: say. I was just gonna say. One of the things that 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 I'd love to say on behalf of wildlife is they generally want nothing to do with us. Whether they're cattle out in the pasture, or it's a seabird on a nest, or it's a moose in Yellowstone you know like they know humans are generally bad news and mm-hmm. they just if we give them space they'll bears like yeah you can go sit on a salmon river in alaska and watch bears crushing salmon they don't mm-hmm. they're so focused on eating bears or, or you saw maybe it was eating moths yeah which is often what draws bears into the high country yeah. in north america it's you know, at, at least up, up on summit <laughs> yeah yeah you know and so i just think people get these like narratives around like animals and it's like, no, this is a living thing that just doesn't want to deal with you. <laughs> so yes. just like,
0: yeah. give Stay him an inch and he'll
1: happily take a mile.
0: Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So going back to the story of your wife picking you up, uh, or your now wife, I should say, not the time. Uh, so Rachel, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really curious about, because it, it, from what I've seen online, which obviously can sometimes be like a toxic, you know, not realistic representation, but based on talking to you, at least for, you know, the hour and a half I've known you or ever talked to you, It seems like she's someone that you and her have a really, you know, meaningful, impactful, beautiful relationship. So I'm curious, like, how did you guys meet and how did, you know, that that kind of process of building that collective happen?
1: Yeah. Wow, there's a lot there. Um, Well, we met in a really kind of. uh, Random. Not exciting situation, it was Outdoor Retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had been in a relationship with an amazing person for years. For yeah, quite a few years. Not that long prior, we had very like consciously kind of you know moved into different chapters. We remain really close friends to this day. I had moved down to Texas, uh, to just like give ourselves some space to work on a film. I was down on the border filming. Um, filming filming deer, white-tailed deer. Um, <laughs> my friends were like, dude, you can't just go and like, live in the woods. You got to get out and see people. You're yeah. having this big kind of life change, you know, come on, like be social. Like, let's get a beer and have some tacos. And so outdoor retailer in our world and the kind of the outdoor space is a bit of a, you know, it's like a, it's a gathering point where mm-hmm. you see all your friends and see your clients and just kind of go have a good time. And so I was coaxed to Salt Lake City, Um, I was invited to a party at, or I shouldn't even call it a party. It's like a 5 p.m. Happy Mm -hmm. hour, like end of outdoor retailer meet up in Patagonia booth. There's like a little band playing or whatever. Walked (laughs) by, saw this group of people. I'm pretty like introverted, not super fond of, of crowds, I guess you could say, or like those situations. So I look into this crowd and see my friends and I'm like waving at them like, yo, I'm not going to come in there because I don't really want to do this whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm and I wave, and this girl just pops up and waves back at me. Swear to God. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's happening. She's super cute. Probably wasn't waving at me. Yeah, I'm out of here. So I yeah. just bail, leave. Oof. And then maybe a half an hour goes by. I'm still trying to find my, my buddies who are at that that particular event. I walk back. Everybody's gone, and she's there talking with one of my friends. And so I walk up. I get introduced. They're actually talking about a film that I had just worked on for Patagonia with one of my good friends, Alex Yoder is a snowboarder for them. Mm-hmm. And so they're like talking about this movie. And I was like, I think I worked on that. And Rachel mm-hmm. was like, I loved, I loved it. Da, 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 da. And yeah. I was like, okay, cool. And anyway, that was like kind of how we, we, uh, yeah, we met. And then we, I think we were, we were engaged or, I don't think we told people, but we like. Yeah, you did your own. Yeah, you did our own thing. Like, just maybe like a few months later.
0: That's um, awesome. When you know, you know, yeah. right? It's it's uh, it's cliche to say, it, but it's true.
1: Yeah, and I had, and I give so much credit to my ex because she really taught me like how to be a good partner, mm-hmm. and like gave me the space to like grow and like mature and like learn how to be a good partner. And so I was really clear on like what I was looking for when I met Rachel, I think that really helped because yeah. I had been kind of groomed for this moment. And so, yeah, yeah we just kind of, like, like you said, you know, and you know, like we were kind of, we were so different, you know, she's a, from Montana. She's a skier, a mountaineer. I'm kind of somebody who grew up in the temperate rainforest on the coast, but we yeah. shared that that love for nature. She sees colors, I see wildlife. And Systems. so we really complimented yeah. each other. You know, you look at the same scene, and she's tripping out on like, like how the lights changing, and I'm oh, do you see? Do you see that little speck in the distance? That's this doing that, and that's why yeah. this
0: is interesting. You <laughs> know, awesome. and so we were kind of yeah. this like
1: really interesting, like yeah, two sides of one coin type, type thing.
0: That's beautiful. And uh, just to date us, what what year was that outdoor retailer? And was like it, it summer was or year, winter uh, retailer?
1: Uh, it would have been. Winter, so I think it was in January.
0: Coming up, I'll be at the one next um, year, January if you're going okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was the year that Trump was elected. Oh,
0: so 2020, 2020, 2020, he was issued in. So 2019, no, I'm, I'm getting all things wrong. Sorry, 2016. Way wow, I thought we were around, yeah, yeah, 2016. 2016, <laughs> he was sworn <laughs> was in say, 2015. <laughs> yeah, 2016 was the election. 2020, 27. So I think it would have been, I'm bad with stuff it. Was I like ago, 20,
1: sorry. yeah, it was that 16. year that winter.
0: Got it. So yeah. 2017, it would, be, it would have been right before he had his inauguration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I think we got, yeah, we got engaged. We got engaged. Yeah. Cause it was snowy. We were in white mm-hmm. and it was like Mar- March or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you going to be at outdoor retailer this year uh, by chance? Probably not.
1: I don't know. I was going to come back to the States in March. I haven't yeah. really made any plans. Okay. Um, probably not but it's possible. I went religiously for many, many years and it it is such a fun time. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. for people like us. It's like, that's when you go see all your friends, right? Yeah. Everybody's there. It's like, how, when else are you going to go catch up with all these people who do random
0: things across the world? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm actually, this is my first one. Um, Okay. And I'm mainly going to publicize the magazine, uh, the accompaniment of this podcast. And like, I've worked, you know, my, my natural, uh, kind of rest point, like when I got out of college and didn't want to pursue my career, like I went to go work for Tarex retail in New York city. Like I, I've always mm. worked like an outdoor retail as like the, the kind of my, my, zero, my point zero, like I worked at REI in high school and did EMS. Cool. I'm sure you know what that is being in front of these yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, of course. I think it's still, I think it's still going, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm excited because I've heard lots of stories, but if you're there, then let's absolutely, uh, hang out. Um, I mean it's so cool like I remember
1: going when I was still in graduate school not knowing what I was going to do not knowing that I wanted yeah. to kind of like change lanes and I literally had a business card and it had <laughs> an American yeah. Dipper on one side of it that I had a friend at, who worked at this ranch she was an illustrator yeah. and she Incredible. drew this bird on it the bird I studied link in the in the notes it's American Dipper uh, the only fully aquatic songbird in North America basically it's a flying trout I'll, I'll end there but I had that on one side, my name on the other thing, it said like ecologist underneath. And I remember just like walking up to Danner and being like, hey, this is me. <laughs> I don't know what I would do for you, but if you could think of anything, hit me up. Here's my email. <laughs> I think I probably got some like free stickers and a beer, but-
0: Yeah, did, did they ever respond to you?
1: <laughs> I don't think I ever got any work those first,
0: yeah, those first few
1: goes. But eventually by going and practicing- my pitch and thinking about like, what do, what could I offer a company like this? What am I interested in? What's out there? Yeah. Uh,
0: Then I, then I got a little bit more effective. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm just going with like a, a, cause the issue one will have just come hot off the presses like 10 days before that. So I'll, I'll be just walking around with a stack of issues trying to convince, but that's the thing. It's like, as I, as I told you offline, like the magazines ad free, um, the section where I recommend gear, nothing's paid placement. So, like, I'm not pitching anyone. I'm just like, hey, check this out. You know, like, I, I just want people to see it. Right. <laughs> I think that's it, which, is, which has a, a... It's actually, at first, I was like, people are like, you're going to lose money. And I was like, it actually is helping sell it because people just are sick of seeing ads. So, well, I think meaningful connections, right? Yeah.
1: With your, with your, with your, your base, with your mm-hmm. viewers, with your readers. And when companies, get to a place i think it that kind of goes out the back window mm-hmm. i think the companies mm-hmm. that succeed are the companies that continue to speak to their base in a yeah. very thoughtful and altruistic way and yeah. it sounds like that's what you're
0: doing so i'm trying to applaud you I'm trying. and i'm here
1: to support you <laughs> i appreciate
0: you uh yeah yeah so uh and and for people curious yes charles will be authoring a piece and a future issue of the magazine worked for which one um going back to retailers and outdoor mm. i'm curious um so you recently launched a podcast with chris burkhardt who is the cover of the first magazine who is a friend of mine and a friend of yours and has been in this podcast twice um did uh huckberry come first or did chris come first i'm curious like what was the inception of that uh experience
1: yeah, well, I would say that in in both life and podcast, Huckberry came first. Mm-hmm. So Huckberry and I go way back from when they were just a few people in a small office in San Francisco. Yeah. And I may have still been in grad school studying birds. Fast forward to this early spring, late winter. I'm talking with one of my Good friends, Mike Idell, who's mm-hmm. on the team. He's been there since day one. And he's like, hey, we should do something, like a podcast, like some sort of regular yeah. contributing situation. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, pause. The one of the most you know highly engaged pieces of content that we've done was a interview between myself and Chris mm-hmm. that we had done like maybe four years ago, where we talked about Chris's approach to food through his vegan lens or vegetarian lens maybe and my approach yeah and it's changed right it's flexible and mine uh you know kind of looking at through the lens of like this mindful hunter Mm -hmm. and and so he's like maybe that's like a point we can you know riff on or build from i was like why don't Mm -hmm. we just ask chris to be involved you know like i could for sure do a podcast it'd be sick it'd be its own thing but like if Mm -hmm. chris could do it that'd be great and chris and i go back from when I was definitely in grad school still, because I remember how like life-changing this was. Huckberry had a Young Explorers grant, mm-hmm. and I applied, and it was a chance to go to Alaska, to have this experience, to go to an ecosystem that I had just been just fascinated with. Mm-hmm. And I, I won, and so I spent this time with Chris doing the most ridiculous shit in Alaska, like getting literally getting the key to denali you can't drive a car into denali yeah and we had somebody who i probably shouldn't name because i want to <laughs> protect their generosity yeah but they literally like i'm not exaggerating gave us the key to the gate and we got a vehicle pass and amazing chris and myself and our friend steve busby with mm-hmm. Greatland adventures took us into the park and it was kind of just, we got to stay in Adolf
0: Murray's cabin. I actually remember sustained. him posting this on Instagram. I remember, I remember being was, like, I don't know how I get invited to something like this, but I would pay a lot of resources to get there.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was, it still to this day it was one of the most, Chris and I were talking about this yesterday. It, it was one of the most ridiculous trips ever. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Chris and I were talking about yesterday was, his phone goes off. I didn't know what the Northern lights were. It was like not yeah. on my radar. Yeah, yeah, and we're in sure. this cabin, Adolf Miri, who's one of my heroes. He's a really mm-hmm. famous biologist who studied wolves. Yep. You know, we're sitting in this like little wood cabin in the middle of nowhere and his phone starts beeping. And he's like, dude, the Northern lights are going to be going off in 10 minutes. Yeah. And we looked at Steve and we're like, Can we? Is it? are we allowed to drive at night? Like, I know there's no cars. Like you're yeah, not yeah, supposed yeah. to be driving out here in, in general, but like art can be theoretically like get in your car and like drive up this mountain pass. And so we just did it and we hiked up in the middle of the night up this mountain and the Northern Lights were like red and green, and yellow and doing all this crazy Amazing. stuff in the sky. Yeah. And so anyway, so yeah, Chris and I, that's how our relationship started. Huckberry pitched the idea of a podcast, Chris said yes, and now we're, we just recorded our sixth episode, I wanna say. Chris,
0: this week, yeah. Is it is so, it less or more work than you thought?
1: For me personally, I think it's as much work as I thought it was going to be because I yeah. really am so excited about learning mm-hmm. and so eager to understand these people that we're talking to and to hopefully ask questions that are provocative and also questions that they haven't been asked that frequently, if ever. Yeah. And so you're really trying to do your homework and just listen to all the podcasts they've done, read what they've written. hmm get it kind of a baseline established for like what's interesting it's a lot of work (laughs) it's a lot of work so i spend like a ton of time i don't know i can't speak for anybody else we also Mm -hmm. have an amazing team duct tape than beer producing it Mm -hmm. and they do a lot of work and they help us tremendously and Huckberry does yeah it's a top job bringing this thing to life
0: yeah. That's what I want eventually. Cause this, this, as I told you, the podcast, the magazine, it's really a one Rob show and it's a lot. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's getting to be a lot. Um,
1: well, I think when things are a lot, that means that they're, you're doing something right and well,
0: I think, I hope so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. Cause if it was, if it was easy, it's probably not worth doing
0: fair. No, I, I, I subscribe to that ideology as well. Um, but going back to the podcast, uh, so your first guest was Jocko Willie, which is <laughs> someone that I, I like, I've, I think I mentioned this to Chris on our first podcast and I was like, you know, I, I referenced him and, and I think Chris was like, yeah, I've heard of him. He's, like, He's the guy that wakes up at four thirty in the morning. And I was like, yeah, yeah that, that's him. Um, and I was like, I think you guys one day would have a really good conversation. I'm glad that that finally happened, but so Dude he is such a fascinating human and we could probably spend as like, it was like Naval, like another 18 hours talking about him. But like, what did you learn from talking with Jocko? Cause I've always wanted to talk to him.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, where do I even start? I think, well, first of all, <laughs> I went through every Instagram post he's ever published yes. and looked to see if he'd ever woken up or posted a picture of his watch after four thirty eight, mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a four, 28 to like 438 Mm -hmm. window and I was so curious is 439 failure like is that where you just like shit it's the fan that's the cutoff I didn't get to ask him that question (laughs) that was so
0: Okay. I actually have an answer for yeah. that question, uh, only because I follow okay. him as well. And there's one post that caught my eye one day where he was at some kind of event celebrating the launch of one of his now multiple successful platforms. Wasn't he hung uh, over
1: and like slept in? Yeah,
0: he was hung over and slept in. Yeah, and so yeah. And so he he posted a picture of his watch. It was like one thirty in the morning. He's like, "I need extra sleep tonight. Hold down the fort for me." And then just like never posted a morning watch photo. So like basically, really? he did he didn't. He didn't prove he didn't wake up past four thirty, but we all know that you know, like, because he doesn't yeah. drink. So if he yeah. probably he probably drank, had some good drinks with friends, as the first time in a while. And if you're somebody who doesn't drink, and all of a sudden you have a couple drinks, like you're gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you and him are actually so- very similar but different, right? So like, he if people don't know Jocko Willink, uh, previous Navy SEAL commander, uh, incredible disciplinarian. I guess is a good way to phrase mm-hmm. him. He has an incredible views on. The human experience in my mind as well as how to build something and I remember when two things I remember when he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast um that was, that was like that when he put him on the map that put him on the map but also the thing that really kind of got him to that point was that he was on Casey Neistat's vlog like he he po- mm. it popped in Casey talked about this book and Jocko was just like effusing Casey and so happy to be there um and now he's this he has this just this presence and i i don't know but like he's somebody who also hunts his own food he also like even they wouldn't believe it like he surfs he believes strongly in yeah. the system of of nature and the planet even though you know he's a who's spent a lot of time in war right yeah um, but is there anything else that you really took away from that conversation that you really were like i don't know that was profound yeah
1: one of the things that was really that i that i really love that he kind of champions this idea of leading from the back Mm -hmm. you know he talks about being in a wartime uh, setting uh, you know an incredibly critical moment Mm -hmm. where life and death can be on the line and so often leaders are drawn to I'm going to make the decision I'm the leader follow me Mm -hmm. and he really talks about how important it is to get everybody's input because somebody might've seen something or felt something or know something that you don't. And in those crazy critical situations, like that yeah. could save your life. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was really nice because anybody who like in the workplace, right? We all know those type A personalities that are just like pointing fingers and like yeah. yelling, you know, whether Made you're from the front without or... looking behind, yeah. <laughs> totally, you know? And so it was really cool to have this person who could be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, he is this buff, just in
0: fiercely he's a intense man. human. Yeah. He's he's a, he's a dude. Yeah, like he's a dude, yeah.
1: <laughs> he's like Chuck Norris in real in like human form.
0: Except <laughs> you know Chuck Norris plus eighty pounds of muscle. Yeah. He's
1: Yeah, you know, and and so I thought that was really cool, just it's like a it's a softer side to lead. And it's also mm-hmm. a side that I think a lot of men probably especially just look past. Mm-hmm. And so he was a big champion of that. I, one of the other things that um that he's done is he's written a lot of children's books. Yeah. And he's used his experience in the service as a leader and also as a father mm-hmm. to distill some of this wisdom into highly digestible formats. And yeah. he actually talked about how he has a huge uh a growing subset of his audience reads those children's books because it's kind of like the Naval approach, yeah. right? Like more as super less. simple. Like, let's, Let's just distill this down to an eight-year-old's, mm-hmm. you know, level. And and so that was really cool. Again, it's like this, it's, he's, he's incredibly self-aware. And he's mm-hmm. also an incredible student. Yeah. He wants to understand how things work and how people interact with these situations mm-hmm. that have myriad of outcomes. Mm-hmm. And how do we kind of, like, hack the system to reduce the variables and have a better understanding of what could happen?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the cool thing about Jocko is a lot of people would, if they read his bio, they'd be like, oh, "I don't listen to some, you know, guy who's proliferated war around the world, of the United States." So you you hear him talk, you're like, okay, "I think anyone could learn something from him, even if someone's like the most pacifist, hippie, anti-military." They'd be like, "Oh, I like Jocko. Yeah, he's cool." <laughs>
1: I mean, when he first showed up my inbox my initial reaction because i'm i'm like let's talk to steve Irwin, you know like yeah, r.i.p sure. or jane goodall like that's who i'm yeah. like my vibe let's inter- try to interview the dalai lama or conrad and then I get Willing yeah. or conrad anchor you know yeah. and i was like god who is this guy yeah. and then you know you spend a few days really digging in and like you said i mean he's fascinating human. he's thing on this, that's he's fascinating and someone i guess anybody listening he's a surfer he said that surfing is maybe the best prerequisite for succeeding in seal training which i thought was really interesting uh water poles is as is a number two um but you know you might think like being a mixed martial artist or a football player or a wrestler is going to get you far in the (laughs) in in the seal training but no, he was like surfers do the best hands down
0: yeah well because all about controlling your emotion environment you have no control over which makes complete exactly right exactly um and he he lives in san diego uh where i am right now um and apparently he still serves almost every day um which is just awesome yeah yeah that's what he was saying and he's a big dude and he
1: gets into some sick waves so and he's from the east coast he grew up he he grew up in maine
0: yeah he did um to kind of put it out there like to manifest it so to speak um who is someone that you absolutely want to have on the podcast in the next like you know 15 episodes
1: well, we just talked. I don't know if I can say this, but
0: might <laughs> we be just better talked if you don't. To my heroes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. up to you. You could say it. it's okay. coming out Sunday, so up to you.
1: Yeah. Um, check out our podcast. You can see who we talked to. She's one of my <laughs> heroes. Um, awesome. So that that checks a big box. But out beyond her, I would love to talk with Chris Tompkins. I'd mm. love to talk with Jing at All. There mm-hmm. are two people that. Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass, would probably be up there as well. Would definitely be up there as well. If you haven't read Braiding Sweetgrass, that book is transformative, to say the least. Breaking sweetgrass. Uh, I'll link it below. Braiding sweetgrass. Braiding sweetgrass. Braiding Sweetgrass, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. And Jane Goodall, I don't know if people know of her, but I think, I if think you don't... people. Yeah. She's a she's the yeah.
0: kind where I think um as long as you're she older than maybe twenty Three, You probably watch some kind of children's show where she was featured at some point, you know And the reason why I,
1: I one of the reasons why I really admire her and I think that she's more Perspective and approaches has, has never been more needed is because she is She is an unwavering optimist mm-hmm. and yep. we need optimism and Energy more than ever because there's so much crazy shit happening in the world. It's so easy to get down Mm-hmm. And feel helpless, and I think the the change we need is going to be fueled by optimism.
0: Yeah. And she's getting up there in age, right? She's like eighty eight, maybe eighty nine, somewhere in there. She's got to be, yeah, because she, yeah, she. You're all uh, good, yeah, quickly. I mean, she's.
1: Yeah, eighty. Yeah, she's maybe a little bit younger than David Attenborough. Yeah, thirty four. How old's yeah. David Attenborough? He's got. He's ninety. He's ninety one.
0: Attenborough. Yeah, I mean, David's amazing. Like, I I think I will always yeah. remember, like him. Um, obviously, he's still with us. He's ninety-six. Holy cow! Um, and yeah. uh, he's been We're married li- to his wife since nineteen fifty, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah, so he's been I mean, married. We just first. lost e. Wilson. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah, uh, but there's that also always new generations of of the next. You know, it's like Charles. I'm not. I'm not trying to like get your goat by saying this, but like you could be your next generation's like ecologist that you know, is remembered in, you know, 40 years, you have that same level of, of you know, you are the one that is uh, narrating these incredible videos that millions see, you know, you never know, right? That's that's the beauty of life. Well,
1: I, so. need a, I need a British accent and Bertie Gregory to hire me as his intern.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: because he's, he's got the British accent. He's doing the BBC shows. What's up, Bertie? Um, but thank you for that. Yeah, no, there, you're right. There are so many young people doing such incredible work the, the the younger generations give me so much energy. Whether it's showing up at the climate conferences, you know, pushing governments to to you know respect their commitments, um, you know, transforming the 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 inertia of social media to to, to do good things and organize. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. There are so many people doing incredible incredible work out there. Um, so.
0: It's it, it makes me so excited. Well put. Um, yeah, I just I just can't wait to see what's next. And like so, like I said, I, I'm an eternal optimist as well, and I I can tell you are uh, as well. And uh, I don't know, it's like so people are like, ah, oh, it's all hope is lost. I'm like no, there's just so much going on. And if you have that attitude, um, the the pessimistic kind of view, it's it's really hard to even actually get anything done, right? It's like until you can believe something can change, nothing will change, right? So
1: true. I mean, one of the things I was just talking with a friend um, who curates an Instagram account mm-hmm. called Cabin Love mm-hmm. um, yeah, and her, her name's Lindsay Bro. And she, yeah, and we were talking on the phone the other day. She's a Berkeley kid and she was saying like, oh, us Berkeley kids are really trained to think about this like cautiously optimistic point of view. And I think that's something that maybe it's in the water. Mm. But
0: just that's a yeah, Berkeley I think bet. that
1: environment yeah. really kind of. <laughs> yeah cautious optimism um cautious in the sense of it's maybe not as easy as we wish it was
0: but it doesn't mean it's not possible totally um and that thing that's, that's that's like a good thing to you know if anyone gets takes away anything from this podcast it would i would just if someone struggles with optimism it's it's something that you know it's always there And it's not an idea that you always like this idea that we always have to be happy or always to be optimistic. That's not accurate. Like, it's okay if just on average you average out to be more optimistic than not. You know, that's that's what matters.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, I think so. You know, there are people who will say like happiness is a choice, and there are people who struggle with depression. Mm -hmm. Optimism, parts of optimism can be a choice if we decide. To recognize that we don't necessarily have all the answers and all the data and therefore there might be some other pathways, some other opportunities, some other mechanism or lever to pull. Just having that little thread in the back of our minds can transform our perspective and our outlook. And that's where we open ourselves up to the unknown. Mm-hmm. right? And I think Just that little, like, leave the door cracked. Even on the shittiest day with, like, the craziest failure, to keep the door cracked, you never know what could come of it. Because sometimes those hardships lead to tremendous growth. Sometimes those U-turns lead to a new pathway you would have never explored had you not experienced that Mm U-turn, you know? So.
0: Agreed. So on that note, um, I know we need to get you out of here at a certain time. So uh, I'm going to enter a a period of rapid fire questions. Um, You can answer these in as few or many words as you'd like. Um, There are no rules, as I say, too often. Um, The first one is the most cliche, but I think it's also very telling. And that's if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, what problem would you try and solve? give it to indigenous people
1: to steward biodiversity because Hmm. 5% of the world's population are indigenous and they steward 80% of the world's biodiversity.
0: Holy cow. I did not know that. Is there any kind of immediate first step you'd take to kind of implement that? Would you pick a, would you pick a few kind of pilot, um, areas to test it out and then kind of expand from there? Or would you, would you have people apply like in a grant fashion or how would you do it? I would probably look to the people, or
1: the experts. So mm-hmm. it'd probably be let's build a, a cohort, a collective of indigenous knowledge experts, mm-hmm. people who have been doing this for generations. Supporters. Yeah, and 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 let them, you know, lead cool. that effort. For the work that I've done in in that space, which is which is limited, I've supported a lot of initiatives and campaigns in Alaska. So my heart goes there. My heart goes to the tribes defending the Arctic the um, mm-hmm. people's defending Bristol Bay, you know, mm-hmm. that's probably where I'd go first just cause that's a place that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and learning about and have, you know, connections there. Um, so
0: awesome. Yeah. Uh, is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you?
1: Yeah. That'd probably be when I was, must've been four or five and we were just visiting the cottage that my grandparents lived in, in a town called Wellfleet in Cape Cod, Mm -hmm.
0: Massachusetts. No, well, it's a small small, small fish.
1: Yeah. Small fishing town. Um, their, their cottage was on a bluff looking over the Harbor and in the East coast that at that latitude, you have these, 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 Fantastic tidal swings, big high tides, big low tides. And you have these just expansive tidal flats. And so, as a little Mm -hmm. kid, four or five, I'm in a red onesie pajama. It's my first morning there. I had a net and a bucket. I just remember like waking up, I don't know, it was early before the sun rose and like Mm -hmm. sneaking out the door as this little kid, putting on my boots and just mobbing out into the marsh. And everybody wakes up and I'm like, kids missing. (laughs) <laughs> and my grandfather looks out with his binoculars as he, he's a sailor so he's always looking at the weather and sees this little like spot of red out on the black marsh and they're like holy shit <laughs> that kid's like <laughs> two miles out in the in the in the marsh i was i was you know trying to catch like crabs and shrimps and looking for terrapins and you know fish
0: were you like successful that. So, yeah, in, the, in that, in that's that
1: Oh yeah, I mean that was, I mean those days just, eventually when my parents said I wasn't gonna kill myself, you know, that's just what I did. I'd just be by myself, like, or with my brother, Yeah. just out on the marsh, the bucket, just like looking underneath these shells and, and you know, just being a kid, looking around. That's awesome. So yeah, very successful, caught a lot of things. Also and, let things die in my bucket and realized how, when you catch something, that that's like not something uh it's, it's not a small thing right you don't yeah. take that lightly when I mean, yeah. you have like a wild animal on yeah. your in
0: your in your hands mm. it's an important connection to make at a young age too because i think that and going back to this idea of like you were just able to just let roam and live freely and sadly that's something that like a lot of younger generations don't get because everyone's looking to coddle their children and protect them from everything and i think that like i grew up in a place where like mm-hmm. oh the, the kids going outside for eight hours we'll see you at sunset when dinner's ready like have fun totally. Don't make bad decisions you know yeah and i miss that like and we need like i plan on raising my kids that way you know like just like they need to make their own mistakes they need to fall down and hit their head on a tree like that's just how it works you know
1: and going back to the open days in our calendar right mm-hmm. like just be like you know, passed off the line and just let go. go. See, you know, yeah. like just let go. And I think that's where we, where, where we tap into that, that those inner child kind of curiosities and, you know, feel boredom. Like boredom's a great thing cause
0: it makes you be curious. Like yeah. if you're bored, do something about it. Totally. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that reminds me. So something that I tell people a lot is that some people who will say that they can't afford a day off because, you know, they need that control. My argument is always, it's like faith. It's like, if you need to constantly be touching it and checking in on it and controlling it, you actually don't have control of it. It controls you. Right. Same mm-hmm. thing with faith. Yeah. It's like if people who are like, I have to go to church every day to maintain my faith. It's like, well, what is faith? Faith is belief. And if you don't have a belief in a system mm-hmm. that exists or works with you, when you may, you might not have the personal time that is, is that really faith? Is that really, you know, control? So I challenge it's really helped me at least, you know, a few years ago, be like, I don't always have to be on email. I don't always have to be working in order to be successful and have control of my life. And if you're an analytical person who doesn't maybe
1: get into that heady kind of whatever, Mm -hmm. um, self, self self-analysis, there are so many studies being published, peer reviewed studies that are that are highlighting putting a pin in the fact that productivity th- there are inflection points right yeah like we are productive up to a point mm-hmm. and it's not a five hour or a five-day work week no eight hours a day
0: it's a four-hour work week
1: <laughs> yeah so let the data speak if you don't want to <laughs> let your heart speak
0: yeah no I, I agreed and it's it's luckily people are warming up this idea more and more um mm-hmm. Is uh is there a particular sound or like what is a sound that you associate with happiness? There's probably three. It's probably the, the sound
1: I hear when I wake up, and that's my dog Knute, who's like my 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 best friend, uh mm-hmm. like breathing, <laughs> just like fired <laughs> up. Uh Ready you, to go. Pet, you, you yeah. probably know what that sound is for your for your own pet. Um mm-hmm. It's the, the sound of the American Dipper. I shouldn't say the sound. It's the call of the American Dipper, which brings me back to why I fell in love with that bird and the questions I was asking as a scientist. Uh, it's it's the alarm. I made up my alarm on my phone, so mm. anybody who spends time with me knows that call. Um, and it's the sound of the, the turns in Cape Cod. Mm. You know, just like you open up the screen porch door. That's a lovely just, noise. And you just hear... The screen porch door too is very nostalgic for anybody who spent time on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. They know what I'm talking about. But it's opening that door and then hearing the turns um,
0: outside. Or even... and we have turns. Do you? Oh, that's amazing.
1: We have turns here, yeah. So that that's been a nice little
0: touch point. But what were you gonna say? Sorry, the the screen door opening is reminding me something that that you know they always have that big spring that kind of pulls it yeah. back shut again, and that is such a such a such a basic noise. I will always never I'll always remember and never forget right this yeah sound of like the the spring moving in that like smack of the wood together and then it kind of reverberates a little bit and yeah that's that is, that actually that is a that is like a very key sound in my head because you know i had then, it as a kid there's almost like the three compressions as the door like
1: closing again you know mm-hmm. it like yeah, catches
0: and then and like then catches and then goes yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's the old ones that don't close perfectly that have these springs that are probably gonna snap in my face at some point the next year Um, And they're rusted. And they're rusted, (laughs) and they're, and they're, and like the screen maybe has a wholeness, the bugs still get through. It's like, yeah, but that's perfect. That's, that's what I want in a, in a screen door. I don't want, I don't want this new dumb Plexiglass thing. You know, don't give me that. Yeah. Um,
1: Any of the East Coast kids listening will, will probably then go to like, <laughs>
0: yeah and, and then the east coast kids also remember maybe as a chore being the one to change out the screen panels for the glass panels for winter time in the porch for you know? winter yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> as you, as oh, you totally oh god yeah. it's it's so good um is if if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area uh where would it be and what would it say
1: wow Yeah, it would probably say, well, when you say where would it be, is that like a geotag? Like where would you send it to?
0: Yeah, so like you could say like maybe everyone's phone in California or like everyone in the world or like maybe everyone in a very specific place or everyone in a very specific demographic. Um, okay. You know, as yeah, yeah. your oyster, yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think in maybe a, in a selfish way, it would be to send a note to the people who know that I love them mm. that I do. I love that. And I, and I say that because when you move across the world and you literally give up everything, everything, your, your physical possessions, your emotional relationships, mm-hmm. everything is far away. Mm-hmm. And you, when you get a phone call from a friend who's just checking in, or you get yeah. a, you get a letter in the mail, that made it from California to the Arctic of Norway. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even explain how that feels yeah. to know that, 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 that those connections still exist. Mm-hmm. And so it made me realize like how important and how much I do value that just my people, people that you maybe take for granted cause they're around the corner. It's they've always been there. It's just mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, I'm going to the summer house and they're going to be there. Or, I'm going to the cafe where I get coffee and they're there. Yeah we take that for granted. And so I think moving, being an, being an immigrant, you know, immigrating like, you don't know anybody, nobody knows you, nobody's thinking about you. Nobody cares about you. You just yeah. don't have any connections. And so, yeah, that's what I would do. I would send, I would send that note to people that know, I love them saying that I do.
0: Mm. I, I do love that. That's actually the first time I've, I've heard that one. Um, And I've heard mm. lots of them. Um, But I, li- I like that. It's It's cool. Because that question also, you know, how people interpret the question is also part of the question itself, right? Oh, yeah, um, and I'm I'm a big believer in those in those questions where like is there's you learn two things from how someone answers the question or and the, and the assumed question they think they're answering, and part two the answer to the question, right?
1: So well said. That's why I clarified. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. All good. You're all asking. good. Yeah. yeah. All good. Um, and then the last question for you. Um, so uh in the, in this question assuming you have grandchildren one day uh if if they were to play this back in the future and uh and and you were to kind of impart some advice for their their generation um what would you want to say yeah two things i would say
1: start bird watching mm-hmm. I think birdwatching is a great vehicle to slowing down, to mm-hmm. being a student, to learning how to observe, to learn how to be patient, and so many other things that I think will benefit your life, regardless of mm-hmm. what you choose to do vocationally or as as a hobby. And I'd also say that it's so important to not only forgive, but to apologize and say, sorry, when you mm. were not your best, because I think when you look back on those times and you snapped at somebody or you weren't your best version of yourself, it can seem insignificant. But I think when you get older and you start to reflect, you realize how easy it it is and was and would have been to just say you're sorry and just, you know, end it yeah. on a positive note. And so,
0: yeah, I think those two things. Hmm. Amazing, and and to go back to the bird watching thing quickly, uh, I meant to ask you this earlier, but is there like a a book or an app or a site that uh, people just starting getting you know into bird watching can use to help them identify and maybe reference birds?
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you asked. So the Cornell School of Ornithology, mm-hmm. which is like the uh, the Louvre of birding you know institutions yeah um uh, they have an app and you can just look up uh Cornell um bird, bird app store. on uh, cool. on the on the app store and it is a fantastic app if if you know nothing about birds and you yeah. look out your window and you see something that looks like the size of an apple yeah that is blue and white mm-hmm. and was on a fence you can literally pick what size was this bird, and it yeah. has a, a spectrum of, of shapes of different yeah. sizes. You, you pick the one it was, and then it has a palette of colors, and you pick the colors you saw, and then it has a, a list of places the bird could be. Was it in the air? Was it at a mm. feeder? Was it in a tree? Was it yeah. on? The, was it in the water? You click the thing, and then you also input your location, so it has some mm. geographical where you are. Yeah, yeah. From. where you are and the outputs are phenomenal i have not maybe saved for once or twice probably user error more than more than um, algorithm error mm-hmm. it, it it leads you to the right bird it leads you to a collection of birds and your bird is in that collection the collection is maybe like 10 deep yeah 10 birds it's it's amazing That's and then you can click on the bird so you know what it is what 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 its name is and then you can you can learn a little bit about it you can mm-hmm. you know click another hyperlink and you can Learn about its life history, its ecology, things like that. So that's that's wild.
0: The app is called uh, the Cornell Merlin Lab or Merlin Lab. Merlin Bird ID. Yeah. Bird ID. Yeah. So it's actually interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll link it below for anyone interested. But if you type in Cornell in the app store, it's the first thing that pops up. And then literally the next like eight things are like Cornell Ornithology, Cornell Bird, Cornell Bird ID, Cornell Bird app. Like it's 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 and then Cornell University is like ninth, which is pretty awesome.
1: And so another one that's made by iNaturalist is called Seek S E E K.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That one does do birds, but it's it's freaking amazing. You pull up your phone if you have a camera phone, and you you the camera turns on, and you can hover over a leaf, a
0: mushroom, yeah,
1: uh, a bird on a branch, bark on a tree, and it's pretty good at telling you what you're looking at.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Also, yeah. um, Apple I think you is working with Seek. And a lot of their, this is actually a fun fact. If you take a photo of, of a, just say you're in your garden, take a photo of a, a plant or a leaf or some kind of flower. And what in the photo library you have that eye button that usually shows you info on like where this was taken and, and things like that. It actually has a function now where it'll start identifying things for you. So I actually learned this because I was on my, my girlfriend has a farm and I was in New York and I was taking a picture of this flower. Cause I was like, I really wonder what this flower is. I'll have to look it up later and I clicked the photo and it, like this thing flash and it, it like wanted me to like press this pulsating info button. And it's like, this is this plant. And I was like, holy cow. I was like, I love this. This is awesome. That is so cool. Um, I'll see if I can find it, find the feature it's called, but yeah, it's, it's gotten really good at identifying, uh, objects. Obviously it's not, it's not perfect. Um, and sometimes it's like, this is a plant, but here's the wild thing. It's like, uh, I'll, sh- I'll show you, I shut off my video. So the, internet get better. So like, this is a photo I took uh, – where did I take this photo? This was taken um, in San Diego of this, like, this little flower, right? Yeah. And if you it's see this – Yeah, it looks like it is a rooted. And if you click this little, like, eye button with the little stars on it, it's like, oh, yeah. it's a plant. You're like, okay, that doesn't help me. But if you click on that again, it then shows you, like, the actual species of this, which is Whoa. wild. So I'm pretty sure they're probably working with, like – because. They probably they said we could make this ourselves, or we could use this existing app in our app store and be like, hey, we'll pay you guys a lot of money to give us access to your API. You know, so it's it's a, I, I like that. I think we're getting towards that thing where I think this information will people have this natural discovery. We'll take a picture, like that's a cool bird, and the phone will be like, hey, by the way, that's an American Dipper, and you're like, whoa, yeah. And then I hope that this podcast comes up as like people obsessed with American Dippers. Um, you know, totally. Charles Post is definitely up there as as number <laughs> yeah. number one. Big well, fan it, of I, American Dipper. I think no
1: matter whether, like, if you're not interested in the name of the flower or the mm-hmm. bird, just giving yourself the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: to ask yourself, what am I looking at? Yeah. What that's like so? back to what we were talking about, where mm-hmm. you're, that's ecology. Mm-hmm. That's you saying, I know what I'm looking at. Call it what you want, but now it's something that's mm-hmm. in your
0: lexicon of words. Absolutely. Amazing. So, um, I'll get you out here on that. Uh, is there anything besides the podcast you'd like to plug? So the traverse podcast with Charles and Chris, uh, it's on Huckberry, uh, sorry, sponsored by Huckberry. Um, I'm pretty sure it's everywhere podcasts exist. You can get it. Uh, I'm doing your job for you. I know. Um, is there anything else you want to plug or talk about or push people to go check out? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can follow me,
1: uh, at Charles underscore post on Instagram. If you're curious about my wife and her work, hers is at Poll P O H L. Link below. Yep. But, yeah. It's not lost in us that post and poll are very similar and <laughs> start a business selling <laughs> post and polls. There Make was one in Montana, not too far from Missoula. And there's an old sign on the side of a barn that says post and polls. You see it, you'll know. You'll uh, maybe maybe crack a smile. Um. Yeah, I would say. Hmm, I think that's probably it. Cool.
0: Charlespost.com. Yeah. You want to see more of the little odds and ends that I've worked on over the years? Uh, amazing. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm sure we'll connect offline briefly right after I stop recording. But um, to everyone else listening, thank you for taking the time if you've made it this far. Um, even though the data always shows that that I might be able to make it to the end of this level of the podcast. Even yours with Jocko was probably low. Um, but we appreciate you. And I hope you guys all have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to this conversation between myself and Charles Post. As always, you can find Charles online at Charles underscore post. And I am at Rob is lost or Rob Auchincloss, if you feel like spelling out your entire name. One of the last things he mentioned there is his website, charlespost.com, spelled exactly how you think it is, and it is a wonderful collection of what he has done over the years. With that in mind, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye.